1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to My Millennial Money on this lovely Thursday if you listen to us as we, uh, as we release them. Now earlier in the week we did an episode with Anna and Angela from Orby Round Lawyers. Uh, Anna, you're the Managing Director of Orby Round Lawyers. Yes. Can you just give us the, the snapshot of the firm, what you guys do, what you're about because you're our preferred lawyer.
2: Yeah, um, sure Glenn.
0: And you're welcome. That's a compliment, isn't it? Oh,
2: thank you. So, um, Aubrey Brown Lawyers is situated on the central coast of New South Wales. However, we have clients Australia-wide. We are a law firm with 23 lawyers, 55 staff in total, including our paralegal and support staff. And the way that we work is our lawyers work in specialised teams. So, rather than doing bits and pieces of everything, they have um, a lot of experience and specialist knowledge in particular areas and all of our lawyers then work together. So if clients need a bit of expertise from different lawyers, we all come together to make sure we are delivering the best outcomes for our clients. We are relationship focused. So our number one priority with our clients is creating a lifelong relationship with them. We want to be on their life journey with them and we also want our clients to use us proactively. So to be picking up the phone and saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think before they um, head off in the different directions their life is going to take us? So for us, number one is our relationship with our clients. The first time they come in to see us or they have a dealing with us, we want them to feel like an honoured guest. And after that, we want them to feel like they're dealing with friends.
0: Well, there you go. Sounds pretty good. And I guess that's why I've used Aubrey Brown Lawyers personally uh, all my professional life uh, because get in, get it done and obviously with COVID and all that, you're even more on Zoom and Skype or whatever bloody things people are using. Uh, And Angela, you are a specialist estate planning lawyer. Yes, that's correct. And what's your favourite part of the estate planning world?
3: Um, I like being able to help. Um, people get their affairs in order Put their minds at rest And the, the palpable sense of relief When people have And then made bury was- them Well <laughs> <laughs> Look, and look, it's all part of being that, you know, looking after that family. And you start looking after one member of the family and then you move on and, and help the whole family, you know, when the time comes. So uh, that is part that I really enjoy is being part of that process with them. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Great, great. Uh, so the last episode, we spent almost an hour covering wills and power of attorney, enduring guardianship, advanced care directive. So you can go and have a look at part one. I want to talk about um, the other stuff around the estate planning considerations and legal considerations, blended families, where do we bloody begin oh. on the <laughs> How estate? Much time have you got? <laughs> yeah, well, not long. No, uh, we've no. got to get you guys out of here. They're
3: complicated <laughs> and no two blended families are the same. Mm. Every blended family is unique and some are more blended than others and even the ones you think are blended are not as blended as you thought they were when it comes to the crunch and you know, mum or dad passes away and then you suddenly find that step-mum or stepdad and the kids of the first marriage are in a bit of warfare. So um, I guess one of the, the recommendations I like to make to people and it depends on the family is to have some discussions with the family about what the plans are. Um, sometimes you can have a blended family where everything goes from one spouse to the other spouse and then everything divided up between the blended kids. And that can work in some families, some families that will not work and they keep their assets separate and they give a life estate to one spouse to remain living in the family home. It really just depends on the particular circumstances, yeah.
0: We're going to, in this episode, uh, answer a heap of specific listener questions. I thought I might sprinkle in some of the questions uh, Mm -hmm. when we talk about this. So, Urshi Pai says, I want an ironclad will. Mm. How do I ensure it doesn't get disputed? Three kids and two different fathers. I am with the father of my younger two, Mm -hmm. thinking of giving more to my younger two as my older son will be the sole beneficiary from his father. Mm. So, how would Urshi Pai is that a real name? (laughs) Might not be, might Might be. Might be, yes. We won't comment any further. Mm -hmm. Love your work. Thanks for commenting on the group. So, how would you do that like practically in a will?
3: Yeah, I probably should start by saying there's no such thing as an ironclad will. Every will can be challenged on different grounds and family provision tends to be the one that's um, the most common claim. Um, And there are certain people that are what they call eligible persons who are entitled to make a claim for provision on an estate, regardless of what you've put in the will. Um, So from that point of view, there is no such thing as an ironclad will. Um, What we often do for clients where they're deciding to um, either exclude a beneficiary who would be an eligible person or give a smaller gift to one of those people is to prepare um, an affidavit from from, from the willmaker so that it can be um, considered at the time that a, a provi- family provision claim is made. So, it sets out the reasons why you've done what you've done so that in due course, if there was a claim on the estate, you've got some evidence from the person who made the will to explain this is why this was done. But that in itself will still not guarantee that there won't be a claim. It's important as well like because mm. superannuation mm-hmm. comes
0: into the mix, um, life insurance comes into the mix. I don't know if you've had much to do with it, but when I was a practicing advisor, you know, you'd often sit down with blended families and work with the lawyers. In some instances, like, so for Pie's um younger two children, she could, in theory, set up a life insurance policy in her super for, we'll just call it 300 grand, nominate the two children who are tax and super dependents, as a binding nomination, and at least while they're still under 18, she's got
3: a guarantee no ifs, ands, or buts to the kids. That's right. But that's where you need to make the distinction that the super doesn't form part of the estate, and that's yes. an important thing to bear in mind when you're doing that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. and
0: we will talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about mm-hmm. that. So, blended family, all we would say is mm-hmm. – yeah, you know, when John pigeons here the other co-host, mm-hmm. I basically say don't get financial advice from two dickheads with a microphone. Go and get your own <laughs> advice. <laughs> Blended families, it's so different. You need specific legal advice. You so do, we can't yeah. give any type of legal advice over a microphone.
3: No, definitely not. The, the advice to give is to get some advice yes. <laughs> as you say and just to talk through those issues and if possible to talk through the issues with the family because that will avoid a lot of grief in the future. Oh, and
2: not- also, sorry Glenn. Also um st- Sort of being clear what the end game is and how assets are owned because Mm -hmm. particularly in a blended family situation, if um, the mother and father, husband and wife start to accumulate assets together, Mm -hmm. the way that they own those assets can have a very um, important outcome on their will. So, talking about that and getting advice when assets are being purchased is as important as getting advice on the will.
0: I want to talk about property ownership and blended families. There's broadly two ownership styles of property. For joint property, yes. Uh, For joint property. Mm -hmm. There was an example I had. I knew somebody who their parent died. The parent's- Partner was a step-parent, the house went to the step-parent, the step-parent then got remarried. The wealth didn't flow to the kids at all. And I don't think it was intentional. But talk to us about if there is a blended family and we're going to buy a property together, what do we need to consider?
3: Well, that is an example where you may consider owning the property as tenants in common and in equal shares generally or unequal shares depending on the contributions, but definitely as tenants in common so that each joint owner can then leave their part of the property to to their beneficiaries.
0: Yes. So joint tenants is the opposite of tenants in it common?
3: Is. So that in that case it would pass by survivorship to the surviving joint tenant and it wouldn't form part of the estate at all. So it doesn't even come into the estate, it just passes by survivorship.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it true if... I have a bank account with somebody else by default. It's joint tenants. Yes,
3: that's correct. Uh, is
0: it true uh, with other assets? If I own a car with somebody, it's joint tenants, or is it get grey?
3: Cars are a little bit interesting because the registration papers are not. As, uh, this is a technical thing, but not yeah. not a, not a um, evidence of ownership necessarily. Right. So, they can be a bit tricky. That example um, then. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> that, yeah. And I, I guess hmm. I, I
0: want to say is, as a rule of thumb, before you get some legal advice, it might be safe to say if you own something with somebody – it could automatically go to them exactly if you that's right. and that's particularly
2: right. when you purchase a property mm. the default position if the contract doesn't specify the tenancy is that you will be joint tenants mm. so and it's often the case when contracts are exchanged in um, real estate agents offices nobody's thinking about that because that's not really in the real estate agent's remit um, and then you know things just start to progress and nobody's sitting down and looking at how the ownership is structured. Um, just so your listeners know, if you do own a property as joint tenants, we can convert it to tenants in common. It's called severing the joint tenancy. So Does it, it need is something to be restamped. It doesn't. No. There's no stamp duty to sever a joint tenancy if it's going to be owned equally as mm-hmm. tenants in common. Um, so it is something that can be later. Um, addressed, but, um, and there is a way to change that, but it is something that needs to be looked at, particularly in blended family Mm -hmm. situations.
0: I like using practical examples for people just so we can get it. If there was a a blended family, so a new relationship was formed and one spouse had 300 grand and the other spouse had 200 grand, we could put our money together and buy a house for $500,000. Can we set- the Spouse with 300 grand, can they say we want 60% of the ownership as joint tenants?
3: Uh, not as joint tenants, no. Because oh, sorry, as tenants in common, on. absolutely, tenancy. you I'm can. I'm confusing yep. myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Which means mm.
0: if the owner of the 60%, half, mm-hmm. yeah, more than share, half, of yeah, share. thank <laughs> yeah. you. Uh, that's why we got you here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If they were to die, their sixty percent now forms part of their estate. Exactly,
3: that's right. Yes. Yeah.
0: Question: but
2: They can tidy that up by saying, "My uh, my spouse, while ever they're alive, has the right to live in this house." Yes. Yeah.
0: And that's where is that documented? In the will. In the will. Yeah. So it's yes. so it, is, is it is um is there a name like lifetime tenancy or? Um, it's a right of occupation, generally Right is of the occupation. Way we would express is that- it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they that's can- what happened mm. with my nan.
3: Did it, yeah. Mm.
0: But I think it was the will, in the will, that said uh, she could stay there as long as she lives yes. or if she vacates the property. It then gets sold. That's right. And
2: sometimes yep. they'll put a third rider in there, which is if they remarry.
3: Right. Wow. And. The other thing to mention there, because nowadays um, people don't always live in their home for the rest of their life, they may need to go into aged care or they may need to go into a retirement village or another home that's more appropriate for their circumstances. Often the clause will include a provision that that property can be sold uh, and then the funds used to purchase another property held on trust in the same proportions generally so that the The surviving spouse can continue to live in another property that would be more suitable. So, you, you, yeah. yeah, you accommodate that. Mm.
0: I, I And I will stress, like, if you do have a blended family or you're separated, divorced and there's kids, it's just so extra important that you sort this crap out ASAP. Yeah. Because when it's too late, it's too late. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You can't backdate a will once you die, can
3: you? No, it's a bit <laughs> tricky to do that one. Haven't quite seen that one in action. Uh, but yeah.
0: There's another question here on this um, separation thing and I don't – I can't pronounce the name. I think it's Alfie maybe, O'Hare, sorry. I've separated from my husband and our finances have been legally separated by court orders and house is officially in uh, her name. However – do I need a divorce to ensure that he can't dispute my will? Also, can my executor be from overseas or does that complicate things? So, there's two things there.
3: Just to answer the second question first, it's Better to have an executor in Australia for, for various reasons. Basic, or at least have, logistical yeah, reasons. <laughs> logistical reasons primarily. You you can have two executors, one in Australia and one overseas if you like. It's still not ideal. Um, there are some taxation issues as well that you need to consider if you've got an overseas executor. So, that's another reason not to have one. Mm. And But on the second part, the first question I'll answer secondly, Um an ex-spouse, even if you're divorced, is still an eligible person for family provision purposes. But if you've had a property settlement already, um, the grounds on which they could make the claim are, are reduced, I guess. And um, But there may still be circumstances that would entitle them to make the claim. So...
2: And you should also check the um, terms of your property settlement because it will often be that if you did it by way of consent orders, the consent orders actually cover off on that.
0: Yeah, Well. So, again, blended families, you've got to get... Get some good advice. Some advice. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I want to talk about superannuation. We didn't touch on it and we probably should have. Uh, it was probably my bad at the first episode. Superannuation... You actually don't own that money. No. It's a trust.
3: Yes, exactly.
0: So there's a trustee, be it Sun Super, who's our show partner. My so my super's with Sun Super. Glenn James does not own his super. Sun super manage that for the benefit of the member Glenn James. Yep. Yeah. So ordinarily, my super doesn't form part of my estate. That's right, yes. What do we need to look out for with our superannuation?
3: You need to think about who your beneficiaries are. You can nominate beneficiaries, and there's two ways to do that. One is non-binding, so the trustee, if you do, if you don't have a binding death benefit nomination, the trustee of the super fund can use its discretion as to where to pay the super funds. Which
0: is a bloody nightmare sometimes. It
3: can be, but <laughs> I mean, it's restricted in the sense that it can either be it can only be to um, dependents or to your estate. So you can't, for example, give it to your sister. Or, and I've had that example where clients have tried to do that with a binding death benefit nomination and it was not effective because you, she was not a dependent of, of the deceased. And Angela, I think it's important
0: people probably should, you know, if you're going to do some homework, just Google a cis-dependent. So superannuation industry supervision, I think is the mm. act or the code or whatever it's called. So there is actually cis-dependence and that is your... De-
3: well, it's generally some um, your spouse, your children, um, someone who's financially dependent on you um, or there's a inter- relationship of interdependency between pe- people um, or your estate. Yes. So, that's that's the other main one.
0: And then there's also, and we probably won't get into it now, but you've got cis-dependent and you've also got a tax-dependent. Yes, it's a whole nother. Yeah, so uh, bro- <laughs> Broadly, what you need to know right now is if you leave your super uh, to your spouse as a binding nomination or a non-binding nomination, or if it goes to the spouse uh, via trustee discretion, it's generally tax-free. That's right. Or your children under 18. hmm is that fair comment? Yes. And
2: just um, beware because people get sent forms out from their super fund from time to time um, and fill them out. And sometimes they might be filling them out without properly considering what they're being asked to do because the purpose of the form is actually asking them to nominate beneficiaries.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. Yeah. Do you
0: want to add anything?
3: Oh, like, just on Angela? binding death benefit nominations, it's very important that they're properly completed. That so they're very strict on the way they have to be completed and if you don't complete them correctly, they they're not valid. The and
0: realistically, the super fund should reject that and not add it to the account.
3: Realistically, but they won't necessarily tell you that it's not valid until it's too late and you're dead and wow, then you can't wow. fix it. Wow. Mm. And that
0: I, I guess that speaks to having a competent trustee for their members.
3: Exactly. Yes, but also being sure that you're completing it correctly. You've had some advice on completing it, making sure it's properly witnessed.
0: Now, I want to harp on about the binding nomination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, if I had a spouse, I could say, "I want Taylor Swift because we're married."
3: (laughs) Actually, do that.
0: (laughs) Uh, I want Tay Tay. Mm -hmm. She can have my super, and it's binding, and I sign it and date it in the presence of two independent witnesses. So the three dates line up. There's three. Some super funds want the wet signatures in their mm. office. Some will accept scans. That is binding. So, the, I guess, is it true that the trustee has no discretion when that's in place? Not
3: if you've got a, bi- a valid binding death yes. benefit
0: nomination, yes. And they lapse every... Three years, yes, for retail funds, yes. Yeah. And the reason they lapse every three years... Because that's what the legislation says, yeah. But that's kind of built because it is binding, life can change. Mm.
3: Yes. Yes. Although, yeah, that's arguably the reason, but three years goes by pretty quick. It does,
0: doesn't Mm -hmm. it? And then there's non-binding, which is basically, hey, I want my child to have my super. As an example that could knock that out, if the child has been estranged from the parent and the parent's now in a financially dependent relationship with a spouse, that non-binding that's when that could be
3: challenged. Exactly, or in a blended family. That's where it blended. tends to be an issue too, where you've nominated beneficiaries which who might be your children and then you've partnered, as you say, and then, then the trustee has the discretion as to who to pay the, that super death benefit to. Um, it may not be the kids. It may well be the kids. They may make that decision. At the relevant time, they'll ask for everyone to put in their claims and then they'll consider who the most appropriate person to pay it to and then there's some scope there to... to um, mm. uh, to uh, have that reviewed if you don't like the decision made, but mm. ultimately, yes, it's a long process. If you haven't, if you haven't made your wishes very clear by making the binding death benefit nomination.
0: As a general rule for single people, so for myself, my son's super beneficiary, it's a binding to the estate.
3: Yes, yeah.
0: So. Talk to us why someone might want to do that to make it that the trustee pays the money into the estate.
3: Well, then it can be managed in accordance with your will. So, you've got you've got certainty about where it's going, who's going to be controlling it, where it's going to end up. In a circumstance where you don't have any dependence at the particular point in time, um, it's still – probably the most. I mean, again, you need to get relevant advice, financial yeah. advice. I should always preface everything with that. But as a general sort of rule, if you pay it into the, into the estate to your legal personal representative, then you know with certainty how it's going to be distributed. And there could be tax consequences. There could well be, and that's where it, I can't give that yes. th- yep. tax advice. Because I mind. don't
0: have a spouse or a child mm. that I can give my exact benefit or my sub to tax free. Exactly, yes, so. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, again, super, it's a wild beast. Uh, And the same thing with life insurance. For example, I'll just kind of say this and we'll move on to your questions. With life insurance policies, uh, there's basically three components. There's uh, the policy owner, there's the life insured, and there can be the beneficiary. Now, if I owned a life insurance policy, away from superannuation, just went to lifeinsurance.com policy of $500,000 owned by Glenn James, paid for by Glenn James on Glenn James's life. And I didn't have any beneficiary. And then I died. That life insurance policy would form part of my estate because I personally own that. Back in the day, they used to do cross-ownerships on spouses uh, which I had clients that had divorced and she still owned a policy on him and as long as she paid the premium she can you know prove to the insurer that he's died and get the money so just with your life insurance a lot of death cover uh, is paid for by superannuation and owned by superannuation there's a couple advantages one you've got a little bit more control because you can have a, a death policy uh, owned by a superannuation trustee and put a binding nomination on that death benefit. So, you've got more control on the death benefit. And secondly, from a tax point of view, if I paid $100 for my life insurance premium in my own name, not tax deductible, if it's in my super fund, that death cover premium is tax deductible to the fund. So, there's a couple of reasons why, and this is where you'll need to speak to a financial advisor about your insurances because- You know, a lot of people say, oh, why do I need insurances, Uh, an advisor for insurance? I can just go to directinsurances.com and get some rubbish and set it up. But there's tax consequences, there's estate planning consequences, and you need a competent advisor to work with on that. Mm -hmm. So, I think we'll just leave the life insurance thing there. All right, before we go any further, we're going to jump to a break
1: and we'll be right back. So, do you want to answer some
0: listener questions? Sure. And then I'll let you uh, go back to your (laughs) conclave.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Back to our cave.
0: Yeah. Jess Huxley says, can family members dispute your superannuation beneficiaries if there's no will? So, again, I think we've answered that.
3: Yes. It's separate. It is separate to your will.
0: So, the answer is yes. Okay, that's an easy one. Anthony. There's a few questions here. We might not answer all of these. What role does the executor have if all the beneficiaries are under 18 years old?
3: So I'm talking about the will. Yes. So um, if there are gifts to beneficiaries under 18 or under what we call in our wills the qualifying age, so you can set that at whatever age you like. 21, 25, 30, whatever age is what you know that you think is appropriate for those beneficiaries, the executor will hold that part of the estate on trust for those beneficiaries. We also, and most wills will include a provision that says that funds can be used for those beneficiaries for their education, maintenance, and advancement in life um, if appropriate, so that the trust, the executor will have the discretion as to whether to pay those amounts for the benefit.
0: How do you, and Anthony continues, how do you protect your will from being contested by other people who are not in it?
3: Well, again, if they're eligible persons as as um, defined in the Succession Act and they're entitled to make a family provision claim, you can't stop them from making that claim unless you get a release from them that's been approved by the court. That's yep. the only way to stop them from making a claim. Good question here from mm. Anthony as mm. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your assets changed, i.e. you get an investment property...
0: yes. Do you have to get an updated will and do you get charged again?
3: You don't have to change your will if you acquire new assets generally because what you say in your will is that all my estate after payment of my debts and and, um, funeral and testamentary expenses will be divided in this certain way. If you've gifted a, a specific asset to somebody and then you sell that asset or you- do something else with that asset and you no longer hold it, then you need to update your will accordingly um, because then that gift won't exist at the time that you die. If you were- if you acquire new assets, the only time you'd need to update your will is if you want to specifically give that asset to a particular person. So then you would have to So
2: as a general proposition, we would discourage clients from dealing with assets on a specific Mm -hmm. asset by asset basis, Mm -hmm. unless they have a particular reason to want to do that. Um, We prefer to and encourage them to talk about classes of assets, um, such as all of my bank accounts, Mm without nominating bank accounts, so there's no issue if that has changed. And we also make sure that the will has a residue clause in it, which is the catch or cover clause of anything else that's not specifically dealt with here. This is how I want it to be treated. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for that. So, Tim asks, uh, are there any instructions uh, that you can give that when you die, like which assets to sell? Uh, is there a statement of wishes?
3: You can include in your will what you want to happen with certain assets. You can say, "I want all of my shares sold, and then the proceeds distributed between my nieces and nephews, or something like that." So you can be quite specific, or you can be just just be quite general and say, "Sell everything, and then yep. divide it up between everyone." Yeah,
0: and and I guess that kind of means, like, so for example, if I died and I've got my investment property up the road, mm-hmm. uh, we know that the kids in my will each get X amount. Mm-hmm if they want Uncle Glenn's investment property or house, Mm -hmm. it might be something the executor works to say, okay, well, that child gets that and that's their value and it doesn't need to be sold to someone else that can stay in the family.
3: That's right. That's right. And ideally, you want to give the executor as much flexibility as possible to take into account everybody's situation because there may be beneficiaries who would prefer the property or the shares or whatever it might be, or some want the cash. So, within the estate, you might be able to do it in such a way that it's the most tax-effective way for everybody involved, yeah.
0: Hannah, uh, and we're not going to go into it in detail, I just want to acknowledge it, Uh, she asks about a testamentary trust and a one or two line of what that is and when it might be used?
2: Look, a testamentary trust can be used in circumstances where you might want to bring some tax effectiveness or some asset protection into the will. So they um, can be quite complicated, but it's certainly if somebody's in a profession or in a high risk occupation or alternatively, the assets um, warrant it because there's some tax effectiveness to be gained, then in those circumstances we look to a testamentary trust
0: yeah so higher net worth big that's juicy right. assets and a trust is established once someone dies
2: that's right
3: the will actually includes the trust so it's not a separate document it's included in the will it's right yeah
0: right jamie lee roy says i'd like to hear about leaving parental rights of your children to a particular person who is not family mm-hmm. as well as the estate etc to that person for the child until they have a certain age.
3: Yeah, generally, what you'll say in the will is, "I appoint X person as the guardian of my minor children," and then the executor generally has scope to or power to advance funds to that guardian for the purposes of the benefit of the child.
2: Yeah. But don't think you can use that mechanism if you if the children has a father. Mm. To overcome the father's rights to um, the children if something's happened to you.
0: Regardless of whether you're married or separated. That's yes. right. Yeah, so their birth parent takes precedent if they're fit and willing.
3: Exactly, yes. Yeah. That's when you probably if there are issues like that, it may end up in the family court. Yeah. With a, yep, yeah. With an yep. application maybe.
0: Yeah. I probably shouldn't say fit and willing. I probably should say fit <laughs> to manage a child because yes, it's I your don't child. Don't.
2: Yeah. You I don't willing. know that Glenn would be fit to manage a child. Hey, I'm
0: good to go, baby.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring mine over yeah. this afternoon Test and I'll him leave him here for a couple of days. A <laughs> nah, couple of days.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> Amy says, how do I make sure my dogs are taken care of first? She might not be able to trust anyone to care for her dogs.
3: Look, that's becoming more common, I must say. Um, People wanting to make sure that their pets are being cared for. Um, And often what you'll do is nominate a person and you may provide a sum of money for that person to look after the pet. Um, So, yes, that can certainly be accommodated in the will.
0: Renee says... I don't own a house or have any assets, do I need to have a will? I would say to Renee, go back and listen to the episode yes. on Tuesday and <laughs> we talked about yeah. an hour about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the short answer is yes. Jonald says, people talk about how it's very important to have an ironclad will. Everyone's talking about ironclad. I haven't heard this. Has <laughs> everyone watched some movie from the 80s? Uh, can you give some examples of why? Uh, why isn't me writing in an email or note saying, I leave this to this person to do this? Why isn't that good enough?
3: Yeah, I think we touched on that in the last episode that you can do that and then... There are examples of informal wills that have been admitted to probate and um, even to the extent of text messages have been admitted to probate as an informal will. It's not advisable because of the, the the procedure that you have to go through to actually prove it as being an informal will. It's just so much more effort and hard work for those left behind. So, no. Natasha Hansen says,
0: how it works if uh, X person dies and leaves everything to person Y – but they are in another country.
3: Yep, that sounds complicated. Yeah, it's still doable. You can have beneficiaries overseas. There might be some tax issues that you need to bear in mind. But yes, you can certainly have beneficiaries. And I think in this day and age, where people have children who you know live overseas, yes, it's more and more common. That
0: yeah, I had a uh, a client whose they were living in Australia. The family was in the UK. There was significant wealth um, in the UK, but they had to set up and that it just kind of it leads into another question. Lucy says, if you are in a position to distribute assets before you die, is it worth doing? So, in the UK, they put money in a trust while the parents were alive because they had inheritance tax over yes, there and blah, yeah. blah, blah. So, sure. not too common
3: in Australia, would you no, say? No, it's not. Um, sometimes- people may be given advice to do that and I strongly recommend against it to avoid a family provision claim, but that's not the way to, to avoid that. That can lead to all sorts of other issues, but certainly um, distributing assets before death can have you know um, capital gains tax consequences, stamp duty consequences. So it's not advisable unless there are I can't even think of any exceptional circumstances and where you might.
2: It can also affect your entitlement to a pension. Yes, absolutely. If you've given away um, gifted assets, mm-hmm. the pension office will look very poorly on that and still assess them as if you own them. Mm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So, no. um, there's a big transfer of wealth happening in the States at the moment. Mm. Uh, mm. I don't know. There was an AFR article the other day mm-hmm. uh, because if Biden gets in, and I he might even be in by the time this goes mm. to air, that um, – you know, the Democrats want to dick around with the inheritance tax. Ah. So, and yeah, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, so again, I don't think it's a huge tax play in Australia. Um, Leanne Webster says, leaving a property for children, but they can't sell it until a certain age. And if we can have a person care for the property until the children are at an age to make a decision. Can I answer that one? Yeah,
3: of course. Go for it. (laughs)
0: sell the bloody house, put the money in the investment account and then they can have the money when they're 18. Um, <laughs> sorry.
3: I guess, it, well, it, it goes to that whole question of ruling from the grave and, you know, a lot of clients want to control everything after they've gone and sometimes you just want to say to them, look, just give, you know, if you want to leave something – to your family, just leave them the money or leave them the flexibility to do what they yeah. want.
2: Or you can give the executor some discretion yes. and have a discussion with the executor or leave a memorandum of wishes saying ideally I would like yes. you to keep the property mm-hmm. but, um, you know, who knows the, what the circumstances That's might right. be. There mm-hmm. might be inheritance tax and yes. it's better to be for your executor have the flexibility mm-hmm. to maximise the estate for yeah. your family.
0: Yeah, because you don't want to do the will. Based on stuff that might change in the that's future. That's right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah.
3: So you want to leave as much flexibility as possible. Yep. In the circumstances.
0: Uh, Tim says, "What do we do with digital assets? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you add all your logging details to your will? Mainly things like your, um, you know, share trading account, your your logins and businesses. That's just maybe a common sense and having a go kit. I mean, I've got a folding mm-hmm. cabinet behind there that's got a folder with all my life yep. insurance policies. Yes. Yes." Yep. People, and there you go, mum or dad, if you're listening, life insurance documents are in there. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe more Tim, the executor yeah. of the will.
3: Yeah. Um, Just putting all those together, all the passwords for all the accounts, it's a good idea to keep them and update them. Make sure you're updating them if you change your password.
2: Because yep. it's actually a difficult situation for the family, mm. um, things like your Facebook page mm. and them wanting to actually be able to um, have control and the choice of when to take that down yes. in yeah. your other social media accounts. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. A big question, and we might end on it with this estate planning thing, if somebody dies and they've got debt, who's responsible for the debts?
3: Well, the estate has to pay out the debt if it can, if it's solvent, what they call solvent estate. So if, first of all, you have to pay out all the debts before you can distribute any of the assets, yes.
0: Yeah, so if somebody, um, for example, their parents die prematurely and still have a mortgage, don't stress too much. You don't owe money for the mortgage, but the bank will want their money from the estate.
3: Well, the bank will want, yes, and generally the the mortgage will... Stay attached to that property. So whoever gets that property also gets the debt that it's attached to that property. Generally, and
0: it's weird that you know in a lot of mortgage documents you've got to notify the bank if the mm. mortgagee deceases. A lot of people don't. Yeah. They just sort yeah. it out. But um, yeah, so the debt dies with people if there's no assets in the estate.
3: Yes, like you general, can't inherit yes. debt. No, no, that's right, that's right. So if there's, so you shouldn't go ahead and pay any debts in an estate until you've worked out what assets there are, because it may be that you're paying a debt that's not required to be paid. If you like, yeah. So it depends. You should sit down and work out what all the or assets are, like a
0: hex or help debt, for yes, example. Yes, yes.
3: Well, that yep. certainly wouldn't pay. No, no. Yeah.
0: So get legal advice. Get some legal
3: advice before you pay anything. Just a lot of well, some clients think that they have to clear all the debts as soon as someone passes away, don't pay anything, don't do anything, come in and see a lawyer first with the death certificate and then we can start sorting through what needs to happen.
0: With death certificates, let me just finish again on this. What's the actual process? Like I a family friend of mine died prematurely
2: it's like being at the pub with Glenn because he's always, you know, my uncle did Yeah, this. I know. How's this?
0: I was on the lounge. This is how wild my Saturday nights are. The other night I was sitting on the lounge. I hadn't cleaned out my phone contacts for years. I deleted seven dead people. Really? Oh, gosh. Wow. Um, so I've got all the stories. Yeah. Um, you've lost my train of thought, Anna. Oh,
2: I'm sorry. What was I going
0: to talk about?
2: Is somebody dying prematurely? Yes, yes.
0: They die prematurely.
3: Death certificate, yeah.
0: Death certificate, Mm -hmm. and because of the circumstances, um, the they couldn't issue the death certificate, or it said the death was undetermined. That's yes. Has there been like delays from your point of view that you can't? do things yes. until there's a death certificate?
3: And sometimes, yes, If th- we've had one recently um, where there was a death certificate but the cause of death had not been established yet. And when we applied for probate, the court wanted to know more information about whether any of the executors involved were responsible for the death.
2: Yeah, so say. it could
0: yeah. be like murder.
2: That's
0: right. So it's like, okay, well, who murdered it? Did uh, hmm. you know, old uncle and so
3: yeah mm. and we had another one where the body was never recovered cuz someone drowned and the body was never found um, there was a coroner's inquest for that one and they established that the person had drowned um, and we were able to get the grant of probate on that basis mm. yeah so there's some unusual scenarios but mm.
0: well ladies it's been eventful mm-hmm. we should get you guys in once a year to do like a what if i Pressure. die q and a
2: absolutely
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Check out Aubrey Brown in the link in the show notes and you've got to get your will done. You've got to get your power of eternity done. Anna, Angela, thank you so much. Thank you. We'll uh, see you guys soon.
2: Thanks, Glenn. Thanks.
1: If you're looking for a super fund that puts its members' interests above all else, choose a super performer, Sun Super. With low fees, strong investment returns, and great member services, Sun Super is Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year and has also been awarded by Money Magazine, Canstar, and Finder. Find out more at sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3. You can join SunSuper online in under 5 minutes.